Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here is your host, Lady Fuller. Welcome to Habits for Happiness, the show where we discuss habits you can employ in your daily life to make you happier. I want to introduce Courtney Balaker, who wants to talk about the habit of focus. Courtney is a Hollywood director and superwoman and also my friend. I'm so happy you're here today, Courtney. Thanks. Well, let me introduce you because you have such an amazing um resume. I won't say everything, but Courtney is an award-winning filmmaker, theater director, and co-founder of, am I going to say this right? Corchula Productions with her husband, Ted. Yeah. And Courtney wrote, directed, and produced Little Pink House, which is an award-winning Corchula Productions feature about Suzette Kello's historic fight to save her home and neighborhood. The film stars two Academy Award nominees, Catherine Keener, an Emmy nominee, Jean Triplehorn, and the film won tons of awards and it was applauded across Hollywood. And I won't read them all because there are so many accolades that this film received. And if you haven't seen it, please do check out Little Pink House. It's totally amazing. Um, Courtney's other feature film productions include The Collector, American Pie Presents, The Naked Mile, The Pulse, and she produced Can We Take a Joke, which is really fabulous as well. Our Coachella Productions productions documentary featuring several comedians. Now, Courtney's also a mom and does a lot of other things, which she'll tell you about during this show. But thank you and welcome so much for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you for yeah. the wonderful introduction. Here. Well, welcome. And first, tell us, what are you working on now? Right now, um, you know, during the pandemic, it's kind of shut down for most people. Um, but we uh, luckily were able to... Um, launch a production on a feature documentary based on a New York Times bestselling book called The Coddling of the American Mind. Yes. And yes, yeah, written by uh, Jonathan Pike um, and Greg Lukian. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we have pretty much shot most of the, the interviews. Now we have to focus on, we're going to incorporate animation to try to um, explain some of the more heady concepts uh, behind the book. But uh, basically the, the book, uh, is about how um, Generation Z, uh, in particular, has a lot of mental health problems going on. Uh, yes. Depression rates have soared, and the book kind of tries to examine why. Mm-hmm. And the analysis and um, deduction that the, the authors come, come to is that that generation in particular has really been um, sheltered from just real life from disappointment, failure, uh, criticism, um, mainly on... Is this helicopter parenting? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the authors, uh, Greg, tells his own personal story of um, an almost attempted suicide um, Mm. that put him in a psych hospital for 48 hours. And it was there that he uh, learned about cognitive behavioral therapy, and it really saved his life. And for those of you who don't know too much about it, a very brief overview. Basically, a type of uh, psychotherapy that doesn't necessarily analyze trauma or uh, your past, but rather analyzes your thoughts. And having more control over your... You can't control your thoughts, but you can analyze whether or not they're correct. And you can also choose what to do about those thoughts. And many thoughts that we have are incorrect. Um, they just kind of go in a loop. Yeah. Hey, Courtney, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we have a quick technical. Um, others, for him, his thought loop was, I shouldn't be here. Nobody needs you here. Nobody wants yeah. you here. This stuff that like wasn't real and it wasn't based on anything that was going on in reality. And once he was able to kind of, okay, thought, heard you out, thank you, see you later, and he could kind of not invest in the thought, the negative thoughts, but rather correct them or realize that they were incorrect, and then he was able to just let go, and he, he has two beautiful children and a beautiful wife, and he 
Um, his depression is, is not nearly as big of an issue. And what he saw, and he works um, for an organization called FIRE, Foundation for Individual Rights and Education, and he works a lot with college students, college administrators. And what he saw happening on college campuses were these college kids were basically being told and taught to be triggered, to have thoughts that make them feel like they're constantly victimized, that they're marginalized. Uh, when in reality... Um, that wasn't really what's happening in their actual environment. Um, I could go on and on about that. But so we made a documentary where we profile. Courtney, let me interrupt you. Can you hear me, Courtney? I'm going to just interrupt. Can you hear me? I'm going to interrupt you for a second because we're going to go to a quick break to take a technology check. So everybody hang tight. We'll be back in just a minute. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Try out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about our individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. Or check out our coaching business at habits, the letter for happiness.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow! Contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now, back to our program, and here again is Lady Fuller. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today for Habits for Happiness, the show where we talk about habits that can pave the way to make you happier. And here today is the renowned Hollywood director, Courtney Balaker. Thank you so much again for being here today, Courtney. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And we were just talking about Courtney's newest project, The Coddling of the American Mind, and um, how suicide rates in Gen Z, if I'm correct, um, have gone up tremendously and or the suicide, suicidology um, around that and the ideology of worrying about sort of the ability. And if I hear you correctly, it's almost like the ability for having resilience in that space and in that age group. Um, And it's super, to me, is super interesting. Um, I have young kids myself. So this is just a, it's a really, it's an interesting topic. Um, but let's pivot for a second and talk about the habit that you chose. All of the um, guests on the show choose a habit. And today, Courtney has chose chosen focus, which of all the shows I've done, no one's ever chosen. So I think it's super oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Got, I'm even more excited. I know. <laughs> so tell us, like, why did you choose focus? Like, what was the inspiration for choosing that habit? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I love the concept of your show where people get to pick um, a, a habit that um, that interests them. Um, when Thank you. you. Ask me, yeah, it's, it's it's a great idea and it's important because ha- habits uh, can make or break a life, really, um, mm-hmm. depending on which ones you adopt. And uh, focus is. Uh, not something I have mastered at all. It's not something I am an expert in. It's not something that, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a work in progress for me. It's something that uh, I consider a discipline, really. Um, yeah. Well, what does focus mean to you? Sorry, I'm interrupting you, but. Absolutely, no. To so, you? Well, I think the best way I could, I, I could define it is it's the complete opposite of multitasking. And I used to really pat myself on the back uh, because I was so good at multitasking. I was really good at juggling very various things. And this is even before I, I became a mother. Um, I had a lot of different stuff going on from a job to parents, uh, house, mm-hmm. marriage. And then I had a child and then, you know, <laughs> everything just got even more complex, complicated and chaotic as is the first year of having a baby usually. Um, and um, multitasking was something I, I was doing. My husband and I, we own our own production company, so that has its own set of uh, challenges and responsibilities that were new to me too. Uh, and what I found is that when I would start my day, I would have a to-do list. And the to-do list would uh, have many different categories in my life. For instance, the, the work category. And underneath that, a subset, a project category. So there's work, but then there's a specific mm-hmm. project that we're working on. And then there was just the home category. We have to get the car in for the oil change or get the brake fixed. And then there, there's the child category, you know, choose a school, or get, get, the, get our child to school. And then there's um, marriage category. And finance <laughs> By category. that point, you're exhausted. <laughs> I mean, it was yes. just, yeah. And I yeah. think, I, and I'm not alone. I mean, I think most people, especially yes. when you have kids have lots of different responsibilities and categories and whether it's and I don't have an assistant and I thought about it and like, God, at the time it would take to train an assistant and manage it. <laughs> I might as well do it myself. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, I've, I've workshopped different things, but um, uh, a, a couple of years ago, um, my husband turned me on to um, an author named uh, Cal Newport and he mm. wrote a book called deep work. He's written several other books, um, but it was all about, anti-multitasking because when you multitask you think you're getting a lot done but oftentimes you're not or you're yeah. not getting them done in a deep way like maybe you're, you're you're superficially getting things taken care of and i'm not i'm not talking about making an appointment with a mechanic i mean things that you need to sit down and complete right like like reading right now, like, like even reading the whole email <laughs> instead of skimming totally. it Just right yeah yeah stuff that you think, and what I found is I was like, I'm like one of the best procrastinators in the world. That I have mastered. I'm excellent at that. And you and all of my clients. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad I'm not alone here. Um, <laughs> yeah, reading the rest of, or getting back to an email. And it's not even that big of a deal, but I would just postpone it and postpone it. And, mm-hmm. um, and I found myself, I, I still find myself doing this to this day, like p- p- putting things off that it's not that they're, that hard or difficult or um, intimidating, I just don't feel like doing it. And that's not a good excuse. It's just how it is. And so, yeah. And it can also come um, from like the overwhelm of the to-do list being like 50 items long, right? So like overwhelm is. is a goal killer. You know? exactly. <laughs> it's a real goal killer. Yeah. It's a goal killer. And then what I found is that as weeks would go on and I wasn't either accomplishing one of my goals or that to-do list wasn't getting shorter or it was getting longer in some instances, I would just start to feel more and more stressed, mm. more and more. I like, I failed. Like I'm not coming through. Like I, like I'm a mess. Like, yeah. But then I found that if I just stopped and I, I just said, okay, today, all I'm going to do, I'm not going to look at, anything else on that to-do list except this one thing and this day is all about this one thing my focus i'm i'm gonna go two hours without checking my email or my phone and that takes discipline too 
Yes. No distraction. I'm just going to focus on today and for the next two hours, this task, take a break and go back to it. And then I found that not only was I getting it done, I was, I was enjoying it. Like, oh, yeah, you're in the flow. I was in a flow. And, Mm -hmm. And then I started to see a momentum and then, okay, well then I spent the day working on that. And then today I'm going to work on this one thing or these two things and just completely focus. Don't check your email every five minutes. Don't check your text. Just well, tell us what are the hacks to not, to not being distracted. Give us some hacks. I mean, I will will just shut my email off. Mm. So I don't even, it's not even on my computer. I've literally like logged out of it or I closed out the window so that if I had to go check it, I'd have to like go through the process of logging back into my email and make it more of a hassle yeah. as opposed to just click. Oh. I mean, I would, I was, I, I was looking at my email during workouts and it would take me like an hour and a half to just get through a workout. But when I stopped looking at my texts and emails during workouts, I was done in like 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, like because nothing, I wasn't, <laughs> nothing yeah, good so, happens on email. You know, it's like <laughs> nothing good because then what if you get the email that's urgent and then your workout's delayed and yeah, um, no good news via thing. email. Yes. No good news. The email. I think, I think Hell Newport actually did write a book called life without email. Really? I, I need to read that life without. Yeah. Email, no, right? I haven't read that one, but um, the, the concept of it is pretty much what we're talking about. Like when you, when you, when you, can practice the discipline of not going to your, I mean, it's almost like a vice, at least totally me that going to a website, news website, uh, in the middle of what I'm doing, I get bored and I, and then I go down the wormhole of that website Mm -hmm. or the emails um, that can turn into a wormhole. Um, So, and again, this is not something I've mastered at all yet, but it is something that when I redirect, my week or my day to, okay, instead of just bang, bang, bang out all these things, choose one that you really maybe have been avoiding or intimidates you and just make the day about that. And, and then when you start, then you start seeing the stuff off the the to-do list being crossed out because you actually devoted time and focus to it. And then I found that I, there was momentum in my life. And then it gave me energy and inspiration to tackle the next thing. Um, yeah. So monotasking that about that one thing. Yeah. So monotasking gave you energy, which is awesome. Cause I think sometimes yes. it's like email fatigue, you know, um, yeah. at least I know in my own life. And sometimes my whole goal will be like, get down to 10 emails, which is such a silly goal. And, yeah. but it's almost like, I don't want to be overwhelmed. So I'm like fighting the email wave all day long, which is not really yeah. in my opinion, working. That's more like reacting and or responding. Mm-hmm. Um, I once had a business consultant who told me checking email is not working. <laughs> working not. is like doing a project. Email. But checking email is not working. And I think many of us listening can probably relate. Like, you know, it's very easy to fall into the trap of like, okay, I log on at 9 a.m. and I check email until 5 p.m. and that's work. Well, like, that's not really work. That's just like, you know, looking through the papers on your desk, so to speak, and responding. And obviously, good things do happen over email and good communication. But you know, I find in my life, if I really want something done, like the phone is still the best way, not even Zoom, just a quick phone call, oh, sure. <laughs> proactive work. But so how do you decide like what it is you're going to work on when, I mean, this sounds like Stephen Covey, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people, Covey quadrants, but like, how do you decide like today I'm going to do X? Well, it- if, if there is something that's more pressing or requires more urgency than the other thing, I mean, it, it, you know, that's another thing that requires focus is making that determination. Like okay, yeah. I'm looking at my to-do list, I'm looking at all these categories, which one is the most time sensitive or which one, if I accomplish it and finish it is going to help me get the other things done, right? Like organize my office. For instance. Yeah. My yeah. office can just be, it's not that bad, but it's not great. And I found that when I just focus one day or half a day on just cleaning my office, organizing it, putting all the stacks of paper, the bills I need to pay, the next tasks that are on my list are so much easier to do because I don't feel clutter. 
Because yeah. I think, and, and everyone's different, but I'm definitely like, when I live in clutter, I feel clutter inside. I think everyone and does. <laughs> I do too. And I, and I, I think that, you know, and there have been, you know, psychologists that talk about, you know, people who hoard or people who live just in chaos. Well, I think that's something different because we're, that's more like just so much that it's like, you know, they can't think about anything else, but yes. Well, I think, yeah, I think it's like the physical manifestation of something internal that's going on that that they, they need to sort of self-organize. Um, and I, and I'm, a, and I'm not a hoarder, but I mean, I definitely let things get messy in my <laughs> I'm glad you're not a hoarder. Yeah. And I notice that when I do it, it's when I'm really stressed out about something going on in my life or my family, or I, that's when I, I see the, the, the clutter in my office start to build. Totally. Um, and we had Gretchen Rubin on the show in the fall and she even talked, I mean, I think she wrote an entire book about it, but this idea of like just tidying up. Right. And it sounds yeah. like Marie Kwan, but, um, and this idea of like, if you kind of don't know what to do, like it's always good to clean a space. And yeah, a, a secret about me and my programs is that in my coaching life session one with all of my alumni who are listening will know that I have, you know, people come to me for change work. They come for me for emotional Mm -hmm. change work. They're not coming for me to like clean their house. I'm not a clutter coach, but the people come to me and the first session, we always, I assign a assignment to clean something in their house that's super bothering them. And the reason why I do that is that we cannot actually focus and Mm -hmm. um, bring in new information and or change to our lives unless we let go of something physical, which sounds strange, but they're both forms of energy. And so it is a really amazing and powerful practice. Okay. So the first thing you do to focus is declutter. (laughs) No, and that's a great, that's a great activity to to have them do. And I, I, I think that, um, uh, yeah, definitely for me, I, I can't work just in absolute chaos. My, my brain picks up on it. Um, another, another area where I think focus is uh, crucial um, is in relationships. Mm. Um, w- when we had our son, uh, well, before he became a toddler, so I was like worried about, oh God, the terrible twos. And um, I'm an only child. I've never been around kids. <laughs> I didn't really know anything about kids and like reading books and asking friends questions. So I read this book called um, The Happiest Toddler on the Block, which is a very Ooh, I love well-known that. book that's been around, like, gosh, probably since the 80s, maybe even earlier. And one of the things that to this day sticks with me about that book, and it's basically just about tantrum management and trying to, to uh, raise a child that, um, you know, f- feels uh, stability and routine and how to, I, how to manage tantrums and emotions. I think they need this book for adults. <laughs> well, lady, I will tell you, a lot of the concepts that were in the happiest toddler on the block apply to people <laughs> all of all ages. I should read it. Yes. And one yes. of the concepts that stuck with me the most, and that I actually still use to this day, not only with our son, but with, with other people, uh, adults who might be rather difficult or, um, or, or, adults that have difficulty paying, you know, attention issues, right? I'm sure you've, you've met adults mm-hmm. that you're at, a, you're at lunch with them and there are 300 other places than at, at the restaurant with you. And um, the concept was, he called it the fast food rule. So when you go through a drive-through at a fast food place, you go up to the speaker and you place your order and then they say your order back to you just mm-hmm. to make sure that just to let you know that they heard your order and to make sure they got it right. And then you go and you pay for your order and you drive away. Some well, active listening. Kid, <laughs> what's that? Some active listening. <laughs> exactly. So with little kids, a lot of times they'll, they'll throw tantrums when they don't get something that they want, right? Mm-hmm. They want to play with something that's dangerous. They want to eat something they're not supposed to. They want to do something that, they're not allowed to do. And then they cry. They get really upset and they explode because <laughs> all they know is I want, I want, yes. I can't have. Toddlers don't have a lot going on in their life. So that one thing that they want is kind of like their world, right? Mm-hmm. I want to play with mommy's stiletto 
a high heel shoe. Yes. Three. And that's not, not a, a good idea. idea. Not a good but, idea. <laughs> so, so with the shoe example, so with the fast food rule, what he instructs is, okay, so instead of just saying no and taking it away and saying, you can't do this. Instead, you, you, you kind of get down to their level, look them in the eye and you say, you really want to play with this shoe, don't you? You really want to play with mommy's shoe and mommy's not letting you. And that makes you feel really angry. That makes mm-hmm. you feel mad, doesn't it? And I was doing this with, with, with our son when, when he would want to like play with another kid's toy and the kid didn't want him to or play with something dangerous in the house. And I noticed that he would suddenly just calm down mm. when I said, you're angry, aren't you? you that, this makes you really sad or this makes you feel angrier. And he would just, he would just calm down. He would stop crying and he would nod. Or, and then I would say, well, why, don't we, why don't we do this instead? And then I would redirect and then we would find something else to do that would engage him. And we got through it. And I did this all through his toddler years. And what that really is, is just taking a moment to focus Mm. on the other person and really listen to what they're saying. And then let them know that you heard what they're saying. And the best Mm -hmm. thing to do that sometimes is to repeat it or just, you know, say Mm -hmm. something that Mm -hmm. kind of summarizes what you just heard them say. And it's just, it's just a tremendous way to connect left and also persuade if you need to persuade somebody uh, it's, it's a great way to comfort someone if, yeah. if they, if that's what they need because they feel heard and that requires focus. Yeah. I mean, most um, of us don't feel seen or heard. And I would tell you from the hundreds of people that I've coached, that's just a per- pervasive yeah. paradigm. <laughs> most well, people don't feel seen and heard in their daily lives. And, and you know, that's where that stems problem. from. But yeah, in relationships, especially because we're not focused and we're distracted. And it's a, it can be a huge problem in marriages, people who've been married 20 years and they just, they don't even realize that if they did this one thing, it would probably vastly improve their marriage. Like you said, mm-hmm. you have many clients who don't feel heard. A lot of people don't feel heard, especially in the workplace. Um, and I, I, so this fast food rule, um, as I mentioned, I, I apply it all the time um, in many relationships I have, work and personal. Um, you know, and I think just, just, just basic manners. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, like, listen, manage. it's, it's also listening, right? It's this manner yeah. of listening. Go ahead. I, well, I was going to say, I, you know, I, I can't stand and I'm, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not very tolerant of it anymore, <laughs> but <laughs> it, it doesn't, it doesn't have, this doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it does. And, you know, you, you're having a lunch meeting or you're, you're, you're with someone maybe you haven't seen for a while and you're at a restaurant and you're both at the table and they're just like back and forth. No, no. T- t- take one hour yes. and don't look at this. We had a devoted uh, commitment to me and mm. focus on that. And I just, and it's it's just not good for human relationships, and it's not. Um, I always feel like that's very off-putting when people are distracted like that during totally during lunch or a catch-up. So. And, and and you know, kind of like this idea of the of of our society, right? Our society is thriving on not being focused, right? And I wouldn't say oh, it's yeah. thriving. I should re correct that. I shouldn't say it's thriving. I think it's it's currently that's sort of the cultural norm, right? Like, so social media is this lack of focus. You're scrolling through yes. all of these different things and it's meant to keep you like in this sort of ADD state. And that type of constant, constant, constant information overload does something, I think, to our brain that like literally overloads us so that we are ending up in this, you know, like paralyzed type of way where we're not even able to get the basic things done. So the antidote, right, is like this idea of monotasking. Uh So, yeah. So, and I think a lot of people pride themselves on being excellent multitaskers, and I'm not critical of that, but it's, everybody's different, but I, I do think that 
our society, especially here in the country where we live, where it is praised, multitasking is praised, and it's not that way in other cultures and societies. Multitasking is not necessarily the, the golden um, egg when it comes to being productive in life. Um, no, I need to move somewhere with siestas because I'm a big napper. Yes. <laughs> I think they're productive. But they, I, um, <laughs> I do too. That but yes, great. I mean, I think the data shows that with multitasking, we're something like, um, you know, working at like a fourth grader mentality. It's like, that's the amount of like, like emotional and or like logical capacity that we're exuding because we just can't go very deep when we're doing mm-hmm. 20 things at the same time. And I do think mm-hmm. that, um, and I hope that we could all, you know, as a society make monotasking cool. I think in order to do so, we would have to have a bit of a cultural shift. I'm not even sure how we would do that, but, um, but it is, it is amazing when going back to listening, when you're sitting with someone and they look at you and they listen to you, it is like the best feeling of connection on the planet. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't really happen. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's, that's incredibly important, especially these days when mm-hmm. it feels like there's just so much divisiveness and, and misunderstanding between people who maybe have different points of view in the world or, um, you know, I, I remember like 20 years ago going to dinner parties with people from all walks of life, whether they from different skill sets, different backgrounds, different cultures, different political points mm-hmm. of view. And we would just talk. Mm-hmm. We would just talk and share our points of view on things. And if there was a disagreement, we, it was, it was discussed. It's fascinating because then you learned about maybe a point of view that you thought you were completely opposed to, but maybe you're more open to it. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it can, and it, it certainly does still, but it, it doesn't really feel like it happens in social media. It's social media. Um, it's, it's, no, it's easy to like so lot of punch. From the other person. They, <laughs> they feel this, like yes. Common, common, beha- you know, uh, politeness is just sort of thrown out the window because of that distance uh, between. Well, me yeah, and, it's an you know, easier place. You know, it's like being in, <laughs> it's like yeah. being behind a, you know, a whole wall. But the problem is, is that, you know, inherently humans, we love to be right. We are, mm-hmm. we are righteous people. And, <laughs> you know, I think most people, and this is a good a cultural norm that, you know, it's like, if I'm right, you're wrong. And it's interesting because, you know, in my coaching, I've really learned that like, you know, and if we go back to Stephen Covey, that like the best ways to really see a difference is like, we can both be right. Right. Like this is like my experience and that's your experience. And like, there are a place that we can, like, I can express my opinion and that's a win for me and how you receive it. It's sort of about you, but you can also express your, you know, your opinion and I can hold it and focus on it. And then we can both like agree to disagree and like still, mm-hmm. you know, crack, you know, break bread together. But I think yeah. that um, it's interesting that when we stand in our righteousness, we actually like burn connection with everyone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the connection's the thing we want more than anything with everyone. So it's so interesting yeah. that like we do this one, like self-sabotaging behavior that like burns, like, like stands in the way of the very thing we want. But as yeah. I hear you saying, if we focus on like listening and bridging that connection, then we can improve our relationships, like in every walk of life. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, then that's very well said. I, oh, I'm sorry. What was that? No, no. I hit my, hit the chair. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. So there's like a little, there was a little delay with the, um, the connection. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's great for relationships. I think it's, it's great for, uh, just per- personal productivity. Um, I think that's why meditation, there's a lot of studies coming out that meditation is one of the best things you can do, uh, totally. for your mental health, for your physical health. And what is meditation? I mean, it really is focus. And there are all different ways of doing it uh, and different styles of doing it. Um, But any any type of meditation uh, retreat or class I've gone to, it's all about focus, whether it's focusing on 
a part mm. in your body or it's focusing on breath, which is huge. And yes. meditation, that's all it is. It's focus. It's, it's not putting up steel walls of thought. It's like being more fluid and yeah. getting caught up in the, the chaos that many people have and a million thoughts coming in and out of their brain, which could drive people crazy. Totally. And I just read this amazing article that was talking about like this concept of, you know, taking our, this is about focus, but like putting your, like, we all have our nose like up against like the windows, right? Like looking out into the world, like, what do I see? What do I see? And like, really the work is about like taking your nose off, like pressed against the window of your house and like going to sit on the couch and like closing your eyes and like, you know, powering down, like that's actually the most productive thing you can do. And it's, it's so interesting because it's so counterintuitive, or at least in this, this time in history, it's counterintuitive. I think other times in history that wasn't, or in other cultures outside of the US, it isn't. Um, but, but something I want to pivot. So of course, you're this amazing Hollywood director and tell us how focus comes up for you in the workplace. So like if you were on set or, you know, that's what the juicy stuff, everybody wants to know. Sure. Um, I, I I often describe um, movie sets like war zones, <laughs> and I'm being somewhat hyperbolic, but it it you you have any movie set has many moving parts mm-hmm. all happening at the same time. It's chaos. Um, and I'm not just talking about action films. And I, I made a drama called Little Pink House. And, you know, it, it, yes, it's every, day, every day, every yes. day was walking onto a battlefield. And when I say that, I mean, when you have so many moving parts, whether it's uh, a set piece or props, the actors, the camera, the sound, the transportation, the food, like there's all these different people, hundreds of people, hundreds of people there doing different things all at the same time with the goal of shooting the footage that you have scheduled to shoot and making sure you get all of it before the end of the day, which is extremely stressful, sometimes very difficult to do depending on the weather, depending on equipment breaking, uh, all sorts of things can go wrong on a movie set. So um, as a director, your job is to bring control to the case. Mm -hmm. Mm. All of these moving pieces, you've got you've got dozens of people coming up to you with problems. How do we do this? Or they, they need you to make a decision. Yeah. And and it's all happening at the same time. And it's, it's kind of scary for for people who do it for the first time because they, you know, and not only that, you have to remember the story you're telling, right? You have to direct the scene. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, those scenes are not in chronological order, but when you, when you shoot, you're usually shooting the end of the movie first. It just depends on the production. Schedule. Yeah. So you have to remember, in addition to answering a hundred different questions, uh, making sure all of these moving parts work in concert together. You have to be the storyteller who remembers this scene, what happens before it and after it in the movie. You have to play the movie out in your head. So none of this, in my opinion, can be accomplished well without extreme focus. So, mm, do tell, do tell. So you, you walk onto the set at six o'clock in the morning. Everybody's getting breakfast. Camera equipment's being loaded in. Costume department has a question for you. Makeup department has a question for you. The actor wants to talk to you in their trailer about the scene, even though you've got ten other. <laughs> people are asking you to do decisions you're being asked to make. And so it's like, it's almost just like I'm in a war zone and I have to survive and I'm going to solve these problems. So I just take one at a time. I just focus on the costume director. Mm. I focus on, on the makeup artists and what they need to try to efficiently answer and solve problems. Uh, let's go to the actor. And it's just, but everything that I'm doing when I'm talking to the costume director about that problem, I'm not thinking about the camera department right. and whether or not they're set up in time. I'm thinking about her. I'm thinking about that problem, saying it out, move on to the next one. 
Um, so you're talking about being hyper-present, hyper-present hyper, in the here and now. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's really well said. Hyper-present, uh, completely focused and engaged and just driven to mm. what they call it, make your day, which means we are going to shoot everything on this schedule. We're going to get all of our camera angles. We're, we're going to get all of our scenes. We're going to get all of our cutaways. And that can be, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't make your day and that happens and then you have to make it up the next day. But your goal, your primary goal is I have to make my day um, because if you don't make your days, if that happens too often, you're going over schedule, which means you're going over budget. Over budget, yeah. Yeah, so you have to stay, and, and with especially low budget independent films, it's even harder because you don't have as many resources um, and people to help you accomplish this. So yeah, a, a Hollywood movie set is, is um, it, I don't recommend it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's coming up for me. Like, how do you that. keep, how do you keep others focused or how do you like, you know, I, I assume that there are times where you have actors who will all go nameless or people working on your set who are not focused. Right. So how do you rein those yeah. people back in? So for us, it's one thing for us to hold focus and being hyper present, like, and rearranging our day so that we're monotasking monotasking, but for those of us mm -hmm. who may run a workplace or be responsible for a workplace of any type, a movie set's an extreme example, but like many people listening work amongst other people in teams or whatnot. Mm -hmm. How do you encourage others to do that if they're not? Well, it's, we have a friend who, um, he, he runs a, a really huge tomato processing company in um, Northern awesome. California. I love a tomato. And, um, what's that? I love a tomato. Oh yeah. Well, you would love <laughs> the tomatoes. Um, and he has this fascinating, uh, he, he has a really different approach to how he runs his company. He doesn't have positions. He doesn't mm -hmm. have like president, vice president, uh, administrator. Um, he, people have roles. Mm. And they put in place accountability agreements with their other colleagues. So they basically so they don't have positions, they don't have titles, but they basically have an agreement with everyone they work with that this is my responsibility. This is what I'm on the hook to deliver or accomplish. And this is when. And it mm. works beautifully for the most part. Because then it's a relatively it, flat organization. It, it, it right. is. It, it, it's flat, but the, then, then the focus isn't on, um, you know, hierarchy or uh, being told what to do. Mm -hmm. It's about, I am voluntarily agreeing to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. And it's on me to do it. No totally. These are like in intrinsic it. motivators versus extrinsic. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's, it's proved to be wildly successful within his company and the people are happier because they they don't feel like they're being browbeated or or bossed around, um, because they're not. They're essentially do agreeing voluntarily to do what they they say they're going to do, and if there's a problem, then it's addressed by their colleagues, and they have some sort of meeting or I don't know intervention. I don't know what they call it. This uh, sounds. So go ahead. So with so with the way we work now, when we make films, so like our company is very small. But when we make a movie, we, we get very big. We hire a of whole bunch of people, yeah. crew, actors, things like that. Um, so obviously, the first thing I look at is if I'm hiring someone that I've never worked for before, I always get recommendations from people who say that they know their thing, they're, they're good at what they do, they, they, they come through. Um, and so yeah, you, you try to hire people whom you hope uh, mm -hmm. have a track record of, of pulling it off and, and doing what they say they're going to do. I mean, there have been some times when I've had to pull, I mean, yeah, not too often, but some pretty severe um, moments where someone was just not doing what they were supposed to do on set and it was impacting production in a very negative way. And in that case, you know, I, I sit down with them and I, I don't yell and get mad. I ask a lot of questions like, you, you know, refer to your toddler book. <laughs> I go to my toddler. I go to happiest, happiest crew member on the block. Happiest crew. Um, I mean, we're on to something. <laughs> yeah, I ask, I ask questions that make them focus right. on what's going on 
as opposed to um, just getting frustrated and angry, but rather, you know, so when you didn't do this, what was going on? What prevented you from accomplishing or getting this done? And then that yeah. makes them focus on where, where they are, what they're supposed to be doing. And I, I found it to be pretty effective um, yeah. that way. I love that. And so some directors like to scream. I, I don't think, I, I think that's <laughs> screaming has its place <laughs> probably yeah, exactly in a war zone but the, the war zone, yeah. interesting thing and, and it's it's reminding me because it's coming almost full circle back to where you started was it that you're making this movie about gen z and how they you know like lack of resiliency and i went to a luncheon this week where i saw a speaker who wrote the book gift of failure and she talked about this idea she's a middle school teacher about how that generation and even the generation below which i don't even know what we're calling each generation we're going to run out yeah. of alphabet but um <laughs> That this difference between extra and ex like intrinsic and intrinsic motivators, and it was something like Mm -hmm. in school, more than 30 to 50 percent of parents are paying their kids for grades. And (laughs) and and or if they aren't paying their kids for grades, they have like a sticker chart or they have whatever, and that these external motivators are kind of motivating, but not really that like our ability to focus, which is what the topic of today is. And the topic really of this talk I went to was doesn't come from outside forces. It comes from inside of us, the desire to focus. And it's something, you know, I'm just, it's coming up for me that like, if we can teach our children how to focus, then we can stop paying them for grades, which I don't do for my yeah. kids. That was, was something like, I mean, I definitely encourage them to get good grades, but this idea that like they're, it, as long as they're motivated to do their work and they're not, you know, feeling like they're being, you know, pressured into having to perform, um, you know, we can create like much more like good, healthy habits for children as they approach adulthood. Right. Because I was yeah. never taught to not multitask. I was never taught how to focus. I was never taught um, how to just, you know, be with myself. And I learned those things through experiences and time and, you know, different various things, but I was never like, that was not something that I was taught. And so I just, you know, for anyone listening, um, this idea of focus for children is so important in adults. It's not too late. We can all learn to focus as adults. (laughs) The brain is very plastic. Absolutely. but monotasking, I mean, it really is a thing. And um, so what does your to-do lo- list look like now? Oh, I, I can't, I can't face it. Please don't ask me that. I, I, <laughs> well, you said before it was this sort of like, you know, whole thing with different categories. And yeah. so have you trimmed it down to more like daily, like one, two, three? Yeah, I, um, well, when we're in production, we're, we're in production on a documentary right now. So, of course, I have my to-do list for that. I would, I would say that's rather time sensitive. Um, and, um, you know, I, but, you know I, I really quickly, just getting back to your, your prior point I, about intrinsic motivation, um, I think that's hugely important for children mm-hmm. uh, to learn as, as young as, as they can. My, my, our son, we, we homeschool him now, but... When he was in school, he he had a class, and I remember hearing um, that this is when he was really little, like kindergarten, and he had a class where the, the teacher had like a, a, a chart with every kid's mm-hmm. name on it, and he, they would get stars mm-hmm. for being polite, um, getting to class on time, um, being nice. Like there was literally like a category. Were, were they? Who was the nicest? Who was You're the like most? these things. These things should just be true, anyway. Well, like, not only that, but it's like they're competing. Like, yeah, it whoever is. Whoever gets it, more stars is the nicest. Yeah. Like, and it's like that's that's not a healthy way to motivate children. These, these are things that they should do on their own because they're the right things to do. Yeah. Um, so I. I, I'm a huge, huge believer in, in what you were just talking about, about how and people are happier, by the way, when they're intrinsically motivated. Of course, because, because yeah, doing something just to get something is, is usually not as satisfying as doing something because it's important to you. Totally. And it, it's not sustainable. 
Right. And that's no, why you see this burnout in children later when they're like rebellious. Um, and maybe they don't even like they get to college and they're like, nobody's monitoring and I'm going to get like behind two semesters. <laughs> it's yeah. like nobody's policing me anymore. But really quick, one of the things that I do with my clients is I have them do something called the critical three where they only come up with three things to do before 10 a.m. And that's, that's it. Right. And if anything that's else right. they do after 10 a.m., we call it, you know, that in Louisiana, it's lanyap. It's a little like extra or something, something, but for the most part, our brains, like they can't just, they can't even consume much more than that. And there's a hack. I even just noticed on my desk, there's a post-it note thing that says top for those people on video, top three things to do today that you can get, I think just post-it notes on Amazon, but these type of things, these behaviors of just like breaking it down to the smallest possible baby steps of how you're going to get to your goal is much easier for our, even the old critter brain part of our brain. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I, yeah. have you ever read a book called a uh, willpower? I can't remember. I, I know the, I know the book and I should put, it's on my it's, list of very long. I have lots and lots of books. You, yeah. you love it because it, it is almost all about what you just said, where when people want to stop smoking or they want to train for a marathon, like stop smoking. That's my vice. That's my comfort zone. And like if you, if you go big, if you start big, it's too much. And people usually fail. Yeah. And that's great. Too, that's, that's where procrastination and like that, that's you know, overwhelm. That, um, but the, the, the book has great anecdotes of people who basically did what you said. Just do one thing. Just do mm-hmm. one thing. Just yeah. focus on one thing. Totally. Uh, one woman was training for a marathon. She's like, how do I train for a marathon? She was a smoker. She wanted to, and she's like, I'm just going to stop smoking. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to worry about training when I run, when I can, I'm just going to one thing, stop smoking. And then her breathing improved. She had more energy. And then it just sort of snowballed into her running a marathon, but she, she just focused. So that's, you're going to love the book. It, oh, it, I love willpower. It's kind of a game changer. Yeah. Well, how do people, as we close, how do people find more of you? So if they want to work with you on a project or they want to watch your movies, where do they find you? Oh, thank you. Uh, well, our film website is the name of our company, which is Corchula Productions. That's spelled with a K. It's actually named after an island off the coast of Croatia. Corchula, uh, K-O-R-C-H-U-L-A, productions.com. And you, you'll find our bios, our contact information, uh, links to the films that we've made under the banner of our company. Um, but yeah, that, that would be, or you can just Google my name, Courtney Balaker, and you'll usually find my website that way. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for being here. We've reached the end of the show. And remember, everyone, the road to happiness is paved with healthy habits. Please listen next week for another riveting conversation on a powerful habit that can change your life. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, lady. You're doing great work out there. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.